0: You want to meet a tanker? We're about to. You speak, we listen. Conversations connecting people. This is The Chuck Williams Show. Welcome to the Chuck Williams Show. I'm Chuck Williams, and it's not about Chuck Williams. It's about the people we're talking to. And today we're talking to Major General Patrick Donahoe. General Donahoe is the commanding general of uh, the Maneuver Center of Excellence here at Fort Benning. He's been here 15 15 plus months. Uh, He was chief of staff for uh, in a period before that. Um, Not immediately, but there was some time in garden spots between that. Um, So, General, welcome, sir.
1: Chuck, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, I alluded to a tanker. We'll just get it out of the. We'll get it out. We'll get it out of the way right off the bat. You make no bones about it. You're in in Columbus. You're either infantry or armor. You're you're not armor. You're a tanker. I mean, what's the difference?
1: <laughs> well, you know, I guess uh, I guess the real difference is kind of how you commute to work, right? So if you're you're an infantry guy, you you use a lot of shoe leather and you and you you kind of get around at two to three miles an hour or if you're a if you're a if you're a tanker, if you're on an m one tank you're and you're zipping along at a good forty you know 40, 45 miles an hour and you you, know, you can either carry your weapon or your weapon can carry you.
0: <laughs> I've never heard it put that way so <laughs> so you've got a nice ride. I mean for those of us who've never been inside a tank, describe what it's like. To be in a tank, one in a training exercise, but also in a tank during battle.
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, first off, I mean, a tank is really truly a you know, a killing machine, right? I mean, it, it is designed uh, to be able to park in the middle of an intersection and take what's ever fired at it, and then find where that's coming from and, and shoot back and destroy it. It's also designed to operate at high speed across rolling terrain and located, especially the M1. Series the tank, locate enemies at long distances to 3,000, 4,000 uh, meters away, and then, and then destroy them with the tank main gun, right? And, you know, it's got a 120 millimeter uh, tank main gun, uh, fires a projectile uh, that, uh, when, you, when you talk about a, a rod about, about nearly three feet long of depleted uranium, right? Some of the heaviest metal on Earth. I can fire that at two thousand feet per second uh, over four to five thousand meters. Right, and so, so it's a
0: pretty safe place to be inside. In,
1: of in, inside of them one's a pretty safe place to be. It's not you're not impervious, but it's pretty pretty uh, pretty safe place to be. But the inside of the tank itself is incredibly incredibly dangerous. Right, so if you think about if uh, if, if I was sitting in the tank commander spot, the tank breach of that one twenty millimeter gun is literally about two feet away from me. And so when you fire that gun, that that recoil comes all the way back,
0: in the blink of an eye. So right? how many more times more than firing a shotgun? Recoil. I mean, I mean, I'm saying that for the average person can understand the recoil on a shotgun.
1: Yeah. So I had a I had when I was a when I was a cavalry troop commander in Germany, I had a, a non commissioned officer who was in the tank commander's position. They were shooting gunnery, and uh, rolled up onto the berm, fired the gun. He had his arm on the wrong side of the safety and uh that gun came back spiral fractured both bones in his arm uh you know from wrist to elbow um you know just like that and so, so you got to pay attention you got to pay attention you got to you got to be you got to be on on the right sa- side of the all the safety stuff or you can you can get you can get hurt again it's designed it's it's designed to hurt stuff doesn't matter who who it does right
0: and y'all shoot a lot of rounds of that How many round, you were telling me earlier how many rounds do y'all shoot at Benning from tank rounds to, to small arms fire? Yeah,
1: so um, so Fort, Fort Benning again is what we do at Fort Benning is we build the bedrock of lethality and readiness for the army and so again, we'll train a third of every of all the new soldiers that join the army every year come through Fort Benning. We to do that, you know to build the, the latest Infantry soldier, cavalry scout, or, or tanker, um, that takes a lot of training. they were here for twenty two weeks. Right? Over fifty million rounds of ammunition we'll shoot every year. Right, we train sixty two thousand soldiers a year at Fort Benning.
0: So from pistols to tanks.
1: From pistols to tanks, and then if you put it in the other great comparison we like to use at Fort Benning, because because we again, you know you gotta you gotta you gotta develop your narrative, and you've got to convince people of. You know the value of wherever you're at, right? So f- for me, that's Fort Benning. I got I've got to constantly demonstrate the value of Fort Benning. And so, one of the one of the things we talk about at Fort Benning is that we shoot more rifle ammunition, more 5.56 millimeter, uh, than the 18th Airborne Corps does. Right, so that's our contingency corps. That's the 82nd Airborne, the 101st, the 10th Mountain Division. Right. So that's more all, rounds are shot here. More, more rifle. We shoot more rifle at Benning than that than the 18th Airborne Corps does, and we shoot more tank main gun than. Than our heavy corps than the third third corps out of fort hood right
0: wow that's a that's a lot of responsibility well it's it
1: it is but it's also it again it it speaks to the value that Fort Benning is to the army
0: I want to shift gears real quick general and um I want to talk a little bit about you I, I feel like I know you because I knew you when you were colonel Donahoe and you were chief of staff for General McMaster and then General Scott Miller.
1: Yeah, I was training and doctrine for McMaster, and then and then Jim. I was General Miller's chief. Okay,
0: so chief. training and doctrine, and then you were, is that a promotion? I guess. That's yeah,
1: I mean, you know, there's, there's, there, there's colonels the, and there's colonels, right? So that if you're a colonel, you want to be the chief of staff. It's all building four, right? Yeah. It's all, right,
0: um, and but they're varying levels. Right. Um, chief
1: has his own parking spot. <laughs>
0: That's important. Uh, so, tell me a little bit about you. I mean, obviously, you're not from around here. You you were raised in New Jersey, right?
1: Yeah. So, I grew up uh, youngest of uh, you know small little tribe in New Jersey. Um, I've got and I'm youngest of five, four of us were boys. Uh, growing up in New Jersey, Central Jersey, um, uh, in the '70s and '80s, right? And so, um, my Snark and sarcasm really come from you know the endeavor to survive at the the dinner table with you know my my three older brothers trying to trying to steal my food, and so so yeah. you do have
0: a snarkiness about you. Oh, but yeah, most yeah. generals.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if most generals do. I, yeah, so I've got to constantly I've got to constantly you know tamp down my sarcasm because it's 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 second nature to me.
0: Okay, get an idea of what part of Jersey you were in. Yes. Um, uh, Mets or Phillies, Giants. Yeah, Jet. so I'm a
1: New York market guy, right? So okay. So I I, I grew up in little town called little town. It's got like 200,000 people in it, uh, Edison, New Jersey, which is Columbus. It's essentially yeah. This, yeah. but it's you know it's typical. It's a commu- It was a commuter town. My dad worked. My dad worked in New York City, so he'd walk down the street and get on the train and go to New York City every every day. And so, but we were New York market. So I grew up as a Mets fan, um, and then. Uh, and then uh, Dallas Cowboys fan,
0: so you just forsake the Giants well, the, and the Jets, the, right?
1: The Jets and the Giants. I mean, th- you're talking you're talking the late seventies. I mean, okay, both, both so, those teams sucked, right? So,
0: so, so you went with America's team. So it was when we, you
1: know, I was a, a, <laughs> I was a Bob Lilly, Roger Staubach fan, right?
0: Yeah, that's uh, those were the days. Yeah. Uh, we had a. We had a friend of ours that had an uncle that played for those Dallas teams. Dave Edwards. He was the linebacker. It was Hallie Edwards and yeah. Jordan. Yeah. and he would come to Eufala every right after the season, and we'd all go sit there, and we were high school kids, and talk to Uncle Dave and talk about the Super Bowls. So that's we were kind of Cowboys fans too in a lot of ways. Um, so getting out of high school, you decide to go to Villanova yeah well you know I applaud so you to, went so you went from New York down to Philly now yeah
1: and, and I hate the Philly market right so I mean I hate the Phillies I hate the, the Eagles teams. yeah I mean there's sports teams I just despise those sports teams so it, again being a Mets fan uh, we we'd go down to Veterans Stadium to watch the Mets Phillies and I just you know the the Phillies fans are an absolute I mean they're barbarians, right? So it's just you'd go to you go to the game down there and you'd be like
0: they boo Santa Claus. What is
1: wrong with these people, right? And then so and then God forbid if you had a, if you had a Mets hat on or a Mets shirt on, you may or may not leave the park, you know, fully intact.
0: As a Mets fan, I'm not sure you have seen the news, but it's been in the news <laughs> lately. I understand that Atlanta Braves won the World Series. Yeah, have you heard yeah.
1: that? You hey, heard uh, that? again, I you know, you got to you got to <laughs> bloom you got to bloom where you're planted. So I'm I'm a, I was excited, right? Yeah, uh, you, you know, I think we should have called the season at the All Star break, right? The Mets would have been leading <laughs> the NL East, uh, but you know, you know, we were saying this earlier. If, you, if you're if you're in professional baseball, it, it pays to play well in September and October, right? And and nobody uh, played better
0: than the Braves. Uh, incredible, incredible, incredible season. Right? And then, so you go to Villanova.
1: Why Villanova? Because uh, I didn't get into Georgetown.
0: Okay, fair right?
1: enough. And so, and my brother was my brother was two years ahead of me at, at Villanova. I got in. I actually. Uh, I started my I started my collegiate career uh, as an accounting major and a Navy midshipman at Villanova, so that I had a four year Navy scholarship at at, uh, at Villanova, and you couldn't use an Army scholarship there, so that was a was an easy choice. So for you were ROTC, right? Yeah, so Navy ROTC. So you, you'll love this, right? I'm also a Roman Catholic. Okay. And so my second semester freshman year, uh, we're learning about the D shaped the twelve hundred. PSI, D-shaped boiler of the Knox-class frigate, right, and the Navy brings us down to uh, the Philadelphia Naval, Philadelphia Naval Yard, and they put us on a Spruance-class destroyer to look at everything. It's a gas turbine, right, so it was just indicative of the Navy being all jacked up, right? There was a, you know, steam cycle, D-shaped boiler, Knox-class frigate thing right there, and they put us on the ship we hadn't been learning about. So I, I just really didn't like the Navy program, and so, uh, yeah, it was a good... Roman Catholic on on Ash Wednesday, I signed out of the Navy program, gave up my scholarship. So Chuck, I gave up the Navy for Lent.
0: <laughs> oh man, the sarcasm's here. Uh, no, that's so, true. That's, that's, that's by a, definition. Right? That's hey. That's I understand. So, what made you? So did you you? So So, how were you able to commission into the Army? So
1: so the Army had – the Army ROTC programs have these crosstown enrollments, right? So Villanova was a satellite of Widener University, which is down in Chester, Pennsylvania. And so Villanova was part of that program. Um, You had Westchester University, Cheney University. So you were able to
0: shop around for Army ROTC. So
1: I I was able to start – I was able to get into the Army program. And I had a friend of mine uh, who was – who was in the army program at Villanova? That we just kind of, you know, kind of said, "Hey, come this way, right?" And I, and I had a friend of mine who was down uh, at Georgetown, and he had sent this is back in the day when you you literally had a, you know, piece of, piece of film that they would develop and print out, and and a letter that he wrote put in the mail to me, and you know, we're talking 1985, right? And It's a picture of him in old school steel pot helmet, carrying a. M two hundred three grenade launcher, and they were he was a freshman Army ROTC guy, at Georgetown, and they were they were you know doing a weekend training thing at some National Guard base in in uh, Maryland, and they were having a ball, and I was being forced to take physics and calculus and learn about (laughs) the steam cycle. I was like, what am I doing? So,
0: I mean, a tank's just like a ship; it just doesn't. Oh, you got to kidding me! Okay, that's from my lack of understanding <laughs> of military apparatus. But okay, so you graduate in eighty five, Graduated it, in eighty nine. Okay, eighty nine. So yeah. eighty nine, and then as a first lieutenant, I guess you got your first taste of beautiful Fort Benning.
1: No, so you know back in the day, right? It was Fort Knox. So that so all of my tank, all of my formative tank stuff is all at Fort Knox. So
0: so you didn't do any of the any of the I, ba- anything here. It was all
1: I, I came to Benning for three weeks in december of 1989 to uh invade alabama through the through the airborne school right so came in and and the only reason i did that jump into fort
0: mitchell baby
1: that's what we were doing right and uh the only reason i did that is that that was going to allow me to take leave and still be home for christmas before i went to korea and so uh you know i came to airborne school the december course and i you know at that point you're a second lieutenant you, you haven't you haven't haven't built up a lot of leave. And you know, so then I went to uh, went home for about a week and flew to Korea on the twenty seventh of December, nineteen eighty-nine.
0: So you were at Fort Bennett jumping out of planes. Did the thought ever hit you that you may be back at the home of the infantry? It was clearly the home oh, of the yeah, infantry. It was the, it was the home of the infantry. There was, was, the was the no maneuver the center there. Thought it ever hit you, you may be back here as the command commanding general. No, you're
1: not. Not at all, right? And I think for a lot of reasons, right. First off, you know, the guys who are second lieutenants thinking about being general officers, I don't think those guys really ever progress. They they get they get off routed somewhere along the way, right? If you if you've got that kind of ambition as a lieutenant, you're you're probably you're probably thinking way too far ahead. At but, what
0: point do you start thinking about becoming a general officer, major? Lieutenant Colonel, Colonel, I mean Colonel, clearly, but
1: yeah, it, you know, it's um, it's it's it, it's kind of funny, right? So I, I think, I think when you look at when you look at a career, going through the the Army, I think you've first off you got to thrive in the job you're you're currently in. I. Now this this may this may smack of false humility, but I, I think you've also got to ensure that instead of looking up, you're looking across. And so when I when I, talk to, um, when I talk to guys and gals getting ready to go into battalion or brigade command, I talk about, hey, the most important relationship that you have is the peer relationship. And, 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 and in, in all candor, I don't think I really learned that until I was in brigade command as a colonel, that the most powerful relationships are the ones with your peers, and and those are the relationships that you really have to invest in, and, and for wholesale reasons, uh, that that pays dividends for everybody, right? So if you're if you're working very very hard to be a good peer, right? If you're hey you're you're sharing every success you have with uh, guys and gals on your left and right, and more importantly, you're sharing the failures, right? So when you, when you when you have something really go awry. You owe it to your peer group to share that. Hey, guys, here's what I just did, and here's why this is not a good idea, right? And here's here's what happened to me. You you make the organization more cohesive, but also you make it more powerful. And by that definition, you're being a good follower for your division commander or corps commander, you know, and, and that, you know, you have got to be invested in ensuring that your boss's boss – is meeting his or her mission.
0: You know what you just described general is very similar to the way it should and does work in the civilian world. I mean, you know, that type of peer-to-peer relationship and worrying about, you know, you know, learning from failures and sharing successes and building upon them are things that you see quality civilian organizations or corporations
1: do, right? I I would think so, right? And and again, I, I think I think that willingness to share because the the folks who, the folks who you know have something that's really working well and they they keep it close to their chest and they only bring it out when the boss is around, I mean that divides organizations, right? You, you're and, and what it creates I creates
0: animosity. It,
1: well, it does, right? And I, what I recommend to guys is that hey, share your successes, right? Don't don't put your boss on the CC line. The, the boss is going to find out that you're you're sharing liberally. That's going to come out. So you don't need to self-promote. And so just just in all candor share. Now, if you want to share your failures and put the boss on the CC line, more power to you, right? That mm-hmm. And I think that helps demonstrate that you're you're a, you're a, you're part of a learning organization and you yourself are learning from from what's going on uh, with you. And so, you know, I just said, "Hey, by definition, by sharing, you're 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 being a good follower right cuz you're you're trying to make your boss and your boss's boss successful. I think you're also really being a good leader cuz you're demonstrating to your own subordinates what good teamwork and cohesive play looks like. And and that's I think that's really powerful.
0: Who have been your models? Your role models or your your models as you've come through the ranks. Maybe when you were a young soldier and then once you got closer to to a general officer. Yeah. Who, who've been the guys?
1: So, you know, if it, to be honest with you, uh, I had a tremendous battalion commander. But the reason I stayed in the Army was my first battalion commander in Korea, a guy named Pat Blazik. And I haven't, I haven't spoken to Colonel Blazik in 30 years probably. Um, he, he retired relatively soon after coming out of battalion command in Korea. Uh, but he was, a, he was an enlisted soldier in Vietnam, had been wounded in combat, um, and was just a consummate warfighter. And so he he was I mean I, we looked up to him as a bunch of second lieutenants, a bunch of twenty one, twenty two year old kids. We looked up to Pat Blazik as the so real as, deal. As he was a god. Yeah, he was incredible. I mean it was and that was it was back back in the day with M sixty tanks and one one threes. That was a combined arms battalion at the time, right? Um and but he was I mean he he was a fire breathing war fighter. It was, it was awesome to watch Watch him at work, and he was a standards-based guy. I can remember, um, yeah, I, I, I transitioned from a tank platoon leader to a support platoon leader, which meant I had all the logistics for the battalion. So I had a bunch of trucks and truck drivers, right? Not not really glamorous, but really important to the battalion and, and re- for my own professional development. I didn't realize at the time what a critical professional development. Isn't it job funny I was how jobs
0: be. that you think how did I get stuck in this right. job end up being the job for yeah. you?
1: And, and he knew that, right? So, yep. you know, he, he was positioning guys to be the scout platoon leader, the mortar platoon leader, and the support platoon leader. But he pulled me over one day. We're driving, you know, South Korea, and all of a sudden this Humvee, you know, kind of speeds up next to me and pulls in front, and I'm leading a group of trucks. And uh, and he, with good force and, you know, vim and vigor, he describes to me, the, you know, on the side of the road – well, I'm at the position of attention. The importance of tight tarps on trucks, right? So these are, you know, the canvas tarping over the back. Little colorful language in there, truck. and it was, oh yeah. And so, but it was all about, you know, you had to be, you had to pay attention to detail, and you had to ensure that standards were adhered to. You because if you don't have tight tarps, what else isn't being taken care of? And that, you know, what other maintenance isn't being done on the vehicles? Uh, you know, what are, what else are we taking shortcuts on? And so it was one of those things that just simple lessons like that. That I mean, that's 32 years ago, right? And I remember it vividly.
0: Interesting. Uh, you had a couple of tours in Korea. We'll talk real quick about some of the leaders you worked worked with when you were bidding the first stint. Uh, General Matt Master, um, H.R. Matt Master left here. You know, went to the Futures Command, and then. Um, became a member of President Trump's cabinet um, as national security advisor. Thoughts about General McMaster?
1: So I, I absolutely loved working for General McMaster. And it was funny because I go back in my career. He, he had tried to recruit me to come to Germany to be uh, his, his Cav squadron S3 uh, as a major. But I had just left Germany as a troop commander, um, as a captain. And so I politely declined to, to follow General McMaster. And, uh, and, I, and at the time, he was a lieutenant colonel, and I went out to Fort Riley to work for another guy that, that I have great respect for. Uh, but then, you know, I got and, – and I came to Fort Benning in 2013 kicking and screaming. I wanted absolutely no part of coming here. And the, the job that General McMaster was pulling me into was the training and doctrine job. I wanted no part of doing that. And then I got here. We fell in love with the community. Fell in love with the job. Everything else. But what I learned from General McMaster is this incredible responsibility that we all have for your intellectual preparation for senior leadership, and it starts when you're in high school.
0: H.R. McMaster is an intellectual on every level.
1: Yeah. Matter, matter of fact, when you know he gave up command to General Miller, right? So yeah. the, I can remember uh, I was I was I was moving into the chief of staff job then. And it, we were, at, we were at General Miller's first leadership PT session, right, or physical training session with a bunch of colonels and lieutenant colonels and sergeant majors. Hope you strapped and, it on that and, day. And, and, and Miller can kill you, right? And so uh, so I, I remember running with the outgoing chief of staff, and I looked at him and I said, so we've uh, traded the intellectual bully for the physical bully, right? <laughs> uh, just, you know, just teasing. But, no, I mean, that McMaster's – McMaster's – disciplined preparation for for leadership for the intellectual development was something to something to be I mean he's teaching at Stanford right now right but i mean he was every weekend he would go in and he would review books on the weekend he would write articles on the weekend he would write book reviews on the weekend um but then you know, every morning he he had, he had a hip replacement as like a colonel um, so you know he didn't do a whole you know, he wasn't he wasn't, you know, General Miller going out for his, you know, ten mile jog on on Saturday mornings. So you'd see, you'd see well, Command Major,
0: Sergeant Major Matheny
1: beside him. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, right. I mean, those two guys, um, beast. But you'd see, you'd see McMaster in the gym in the morning, and he'd be on the elliptical, and he's reading the Economist. He's reading, you know, he's reading Foreign Affairs, and that's that's what he's doing.
0: And it's just so he could have been the guy at the Y off Wall Street.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's. That, the value of intellectual preparation is what, and again, and the responsibility for lifelong learning is really what I took from General McMaster.
0: And then let's go to General Miller, Scott Miller. Scott, you talk about war fighters. Scott Miller is the epitome of an American war fighter in my in my mind. Yeah. Um, well, see,
1: I, I think both of those guys are. And, and I think, I, th- I don't think McMaster maybe doesn't get enough credit for, isn't the consummate warfighter as well, and and so the the other if you know their personal histories and is it, so Miller gets replaced by Eric Wesley yeah. right? and I told this to Wesley and I'm not, not sure he really appreciated it, but uh, those three individuals have formative events in their in their military careers, right? For McMaster it's the Battle of Seventy Three Easting, right? It's it's Eagle Troop of the Second Cav Regiment. Running into uh, the Iraqi Republican Guard in the night, right? And he's the he's the lead troop, and they destroy this unit. Right? This was
0: back when there was a myth that the Republican Guard was going to be a really formidable fighting force, right? right. This was before the. I mean, they exposed them, as I guess what
1: you. Right now, and so you know that that fight, right? So for Miller, right? Miller, it's. The streets of Mogadishu in Black Hawk Down, yep. where he is the he's the leader Somalia. of the Delta Force guys in Somalia, and then for Wesley, Wesley it's the Thunder Run into Baghdad, and with General Perkins and Wes Perkins is the brigade commander, Wesley is the Wesley's the brigade XO. As a matter of fact, Wesley's at the brigade talk when the brigade talk takes a hundred seven millimeter rocket in the middle of the middle of the fight. They have all sorts of wounded and everything else. And Then Wesley single handedly gets that. That's uh, probably not fair single handedly with the team is able to get that talk back up and operational even while they're doing this, you know, massive triage casualties and everything else. But when you talk to those three individuals, pretty quickly inside you know five minutes, you can kind of hear echoes of seventy three Easting coming out of McMaster, Blackhawk Down coming out of Miller, and the Thunder Run coming out of General Wesley. And and again, it's it's the importance of you know what shapes what shapes your mind, your view of the future of warfare uh, as as you grow up? What are those formative events that occur to you? And uh, I, I think that's, I thought that was really, for me, learning from all three of those individuals of how that helped shape their view of the changing and evolving character of war.
0: As I've had a chance to spend some time on Fort Benning over the last decade or so, there's a phrase that I've picked up and you hear it know whether it's in basic training or ranger school and you'll look at somebody and they're you know they're a drill sergeant or they're a ranger instructor and airborne instructor and somebody will say that guy's there because he's what right lo- that's that person's there to show you what right looks like yeah. is that a is 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 that a common practice in the army particularly at a training post like bennings to put people in position so you new new people are you know, are people going through Ranger School or Captain's Career Course can see what right looks like?
1: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, think so. I, th- I think we do a pretty good job as an Army of ensuring the folks that come in to be in critical positions uh, are the right people. So, like Command Sergeant Major Garner, right, the post level Sergeant Major, yeah, he was a he was a fourth RTB Ranger instructor ten years ago, right. So that's exactly you know so. Youngsters running through Ranger School would look over and see R. I. Garner and go, "That that's what Wright looks and like." And he he's
0: your Command Sergeant Major, right. and you know, I mean, interesting Louisiana guy. Yeah, um, you know
1: LSU fan.
0: LSU. I mean, well, he almost got a lucky Saturday <laughs> night, uh, but you know, it's really interesting because when President Biden stopped on post on his way to see President Carter, you know, I guess back in the spring, you know, there was a picture that was posted of you and your wife and um, Command Sergeant Major Garner and his wife, and he said, this is a long way for somebody from where I grew up. I mean, the
1: Ninth ninth Ward in New Orleans.
0: You know, the Army is, for some people, a way out, right? It's a way up and a way out. Yeah. But it's always
1: been, right? I think it's always been. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's you know. I mean, again, I'm, you know, my, I grew up in a, I grew up, you know, right outside New York City. You know, we were hyphenated Americans growing up. I was an Irish American. You know, my, all the kids on my block were either Jewish Americans or Italian Americans or Irish Americans. And, um, and you know, I look back at the history of the Irish in America. One of the, one of the critical pathways to respectability in America for the Irish coming in was service in the army. And so, you go back, go back. think in your mind, John Wayne, Western, 1950s. Who's the first sergeant? It's always the brogue, spe- you know, the brogue-accented Irish guy who's now John Wayne, who's a captain or a lieutenant colonel with the Cavs, troop, or squadron. Yeah. His first sergeant is always the Irish guy. Somewhere in that movie, he'll break into the... The liquor, in the liquor cabinet, and get hammered, drunk, and would be in the brig, and then John Wayne will come in, throw the water on him, you know, come on, first sergeant, and then the first sergeant will be back out, drilling the troops, right? But that, mm-hmm. that stereotypical Irish mission officer was the was the pathway forward, and I think when you look at when you look at the army today, I think you you see, uh, you see similar pathways for. Uh, from multiple uh, racial and ethnic groups uh, in the army. And that's, that's one of the things I think that is, is really powerful about the army. There uh, truly has a meritocracy to the army.
0: You know, I mean, and I know you're in uniform, and I'm not going to ask you to go on the political side of it, <laughs> but we're a deeply divided country right now. That's we all know that. it's It is unfortunate. And, you know, as you as a commander you obviously are aware of the divisions that the the political and and just cultural divisions of our country how do you make sure that those types of things don't happen on a post how do you how do you monitor and and protect against that in your formations
1: well i mean we've got clear rules against political speech in uniform right yep. and and that's that's very very helpful, I think, and and I think there's, uh, for those in uniform, there for the majority of those in uniform, there truly is, an acceptance of the non political or apolitical, partisan political, uh, role of of the, the military leader, uh, both commissioned and non
0: commissioned. I mean, everybody takes an oath to the Constitution. Yep.
1: that's part of it, right?
0: I mean, your your oath is to a, to the Constitution. Right.
1: But again, I, I think it's it, it's it's the enforcement of our standards and our rules, right? And there's also a good amount of peer um, accountability that goes with that, right? So as as folks, I can remember, uh, you know, at, at some point I made a comment on on my Facebook page, and my you know my Facebook is pretty closed down. Um, that could be could have been interpreted as political, and this is going back about five years, hmm. and I had a buddy of mine. Another, uh, at the time, we were we both were just pinning on one star. And he shot me, a you know, an email. I was like, hey, brother, that you can interpret that comment, you know, a couple of different ways. And I was like, ah. So I went back and I reread it. And I was like, yeah, actually, I, I didn't, I wasn't trying to be political, but I could see how somebody could make it that way. And so I ended up deleting that, right? So there's this, yeah. there's this pretty powerful peer corrective as well in the military. Well, but it doesn't mean, doesn't mean it doesn't happen,
0: right? You've embraced social media, um, as I mean, I won't go too far there, but I will tell you a story. I mean, I've had my social media issues as well, but you've embraced it in a way that, as a form of communication with those in your command or those that that serve under you, what's the value of social media? Yeah, so nobody serves under me,
1: right? They serve with me, and so um, stand corrected, sir. Yeah, the. Uh, well, I think I think terms like that are important, right? So we talk about, you know, I, I hate it when people talk about lower enlisted. Right? We're talking about specialists and privates first class and privates lower enlisted. They're junior enlisted, right? I mean, words words really are powerful, right? And so as we talk about it, and and I'll, I'll tell you, my role on Fort Benning is, uh, you know, yeah, I'm the senior I'm the senior military guy, but you know, I I I've got to be the I've got to be the the coach. I've got to be the the kind of the one who helps give direction, but I can't do any of that by myself. So I I just need everybody on the installation leaning in and to to drive towards it. And the other side of it is I've got to be everybody. I think everybody in in a leadership position has got to be open to all of those credible ideas that are occurring in and around you and for your ability to go in and Pull that up and go. Hey, that's what we're going to do.
0: Social media allows you to do that. So
1: yeah, so you're pulling me back to social media. Okay, yeah. I see how this is going to go. The, uh, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So here's so here's my take on social media, and and I'm a I'm a e- even now after I got scuffed up a little bit on on social media, um, I'm a firm believer uh, that for especially for senior leaders, who you know on on any given day you can have you're going to have a whole slew of folks between you and reality, right? I mean, as you, know, you got outer or off the staff, you got a you got an aide to camp, you got a driver, you got an exo, you got all these people that are there that see it to their duty to protect you from, in many cases, what's really happening, right? And so I think social media gives you a directed telescope into your formation. I think it gives you a directed telescope into populations, in my case, in the Army that I would not normally come in contact with. Uh, you know, I always use the example of, you know, I, I follow a bunch of um, junior enlisted and mid-grade uh, non-commissioned officers that are women in the Army. I've never had that experience, right? I, I don't know what that is like. And if, if if it wasn't for social media, I still wouldn't know what they're concerned about I wouldn't know what they go through on you a, a daily basis. Get a picture of their world. You, you get you get you get to see the army through their eyes, which is enlightening, right? Doesn't mean yeah. You know, doesn't mean they're you not likely to anything. come
0: into your office, sit on your couch, and tell you no. what you may it, see them post. Never,
1: they'd never get past the door, right? Yep.
0: Yeah, you know, it's inter it's interesting, but it can be a gutter too. And yeah. and you know, I mean, I found out the hard way about seven weeks ago. Uh, I was watching. The college football game day, um, and uh, I saw a post from Kurt Herbstreit, and it was Coach Corso throwing caps out, and I just tweeted about 11.30 that morning, and I said, time for a new act and a new actor. I didn't think anything about it. I watched Auburn lose to Penn State that night. Street called the game. Woke up on September 19th, my birthday. It was going to be a grand and glorious day. And all of a sudden, at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning, my Twitter had blown up. At 3:30 a.m. after calling the Auburn Penn State game, Kirk Herb Street saw my tweet. It had a blue check mark by it. He retweeted it, said I was missing the point, and called me a clown. It got so bad on Sunday. Twitter reached out to me to see if I needed help in privatizing my account. Yep. I mean, it was unbelievable. I mean, I was sitting there just, you know, I was like, how did I do this? I mean, how many comments? Uh, thousands. I mean, the first one I saw that morning was. Get the bleep ready, Dylan. But no, I won't say it. But it is the first one I see was literally. I hope someone s's in your birthday cake. And they, <laughs> and they went. They went. I mean, I mean, some of them made me laugh. One was like, "I hope your next fart deceives you." I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was like some of them was at, were actually had. Wit, but it was unbelievable how the world changed that day. But it, it went away and everything's good. But we'll get off social media. Yeah. Let's talk no, about. I
1: mean, I, I'm, I think it's really important to think that, to talk about that, right? Because I, I will tell you, uh, I just I was just up at the Army War College in Carlisle talking because I had a little scuffle. you know. Again, I get scuffed up a little bit on social media, but I'm I'm very candid now in small groups about, about what I learned, and and I used to be, I, I used to be a no holds barred guy of, hey, you need to be out there engaging, candid, and I think what I've learned in the past, you know, since July has been you, you actually there is there is reward to being involved on social media there's also risk and that risk is professional and personal and, um, and amen and, and especially with the nature of the country right now the if you get and, and oftentimes you get painted a certain way and you know like I go back in and I look at the interactions I had that, that kind of got me in the crosshair of, of certain groups. When I go back and look at it, it was it was pretty mundane uh not where I thought it would go to you know three thousand comments on a tweet and 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 literally people threatening you and so and and also you know f- for me i mean i've got I still have school age kids in the house, yeah and I had people you know really trying to come after my family which was which was really disturbing right so there's I think there's still great reward in the interactions. Especially professionally, right? But uh, know that it but can, there is some risk.
0: It, there is risk, yeah. and and you know, I did what I thought was just this throwaway tweet with my opinion of right. Coach Corso. Obviously, Lee Corso is a national treasure, as Herb Street pointed out, and Coach Corso struggles. It's painful to watch some Saturdays, and I said something a lot of people think, but I sh- but I will set it on Twitter and then you know somebody who matters, somebody who has tens of thousands of followers took exception to it and I became I ended up in the crosshairs right and you know not a comfortable place to be you know I'm
1: so sports is one part right and you can get some real high emotion when you get pulled into the culture wars in in America today and get it can get really ugly
0: yep glad I wasn't, I'm glad I was just, I'm glad I had a bunch of folks that think a guy, i am never, never mind. I'll, I'll just say yes, yes sir, so, yeah, uh, um, t- talk a little bit about Columbus and its relationship to Fort Benning.
1: Yeah, so, um, so, so first off, Columbus is our city, right, and so yep. the relationship of Fort Benning to Columbus is, is intertwined, it has been for a hundred years. You know, we were just talking to your sports, your sports director. Yeah, Jack right, Patterson, right? Who's who's here because his father served at Fort Benning. Yep, right. And so uh, Carmen Cavesa, right? He's here because yep. he served at Fort Benning. Right. You, you could just go, you go around the community. There's an awful lot of folks. You know, Mayor Skip Henderson, he's here because his dad Was served favorite. at Fort Benning, right? And so we, we look at Bob Portischef. Bob Portischef, right? Uh, I tell you. Uh, rest his soul. Gotta rest his soul. If it wasn't for COVID, I, I didn't even get to see him before, before he passed away because I got back here and we were all locked down because of COVID. Yeah, and then, he, yeah. And then, unfortunately, he passed away. But, I mean, all of these folks that, that make Columbus the rich, really cosmopolitan city that it is, a lot of that is because of Fort Benning. And, and, and then, you know, by, uh, by the way armies work, the Army works – is we only house about thirty percent of our assigned soldiers on the installation.
0: So right? you got how many assigned to the installation? Thirty-five
1: thousand. So, uh, so, so about fourteen thousand permanent party, right? That are assigned. And then we got we got on any given day about thirteen to fifteen thousand in training.
0: Right? And then civilians. And then
1: another three thousand civilian, DA civilians, <laughs> contractors, etc. But but seventy percent of our permanent party live off the installation. They live in in the city of Columbus and. You know, Midland, they live in Fort Mitchell. They, you know, they live all over. I get. I was talking to a kid the other day who lives in Noonan, which is a long drive, right? Um, but, you know, that interaction, you know, so so Fort Benning soldiers and their spouses and their family members, they're, you know, they're your church deacons. They're your – They're your little league coaches. They're your little league coaches. They're, you know, they're all of that, right? They're members of this community. And then an awful lot of the retirees that stay here, right? And so – and and you know you don't have to be from from the south to fall in love with Columbus, Georgia, right? I mean, you know, a good friend of mine, Mike Burns, you know, he and his wife, I mean, they're, they're from they're from Massachusetts, right? I mean, you know, they still have the accent a whole bit. They they live in Columbus, love the love the community, love the area.
0: I mean, General Wetzel, an General Wetzel,
1: yeah. An example.
0: And so so
1: there's there's that aspect of it, right? And then you know if you want to monetize the relationship, you know, Fort Benning, Georgia, is the it's the number one single site employer in the state of Georgia. Say that again. It's the number one single site employer in the state of Georgia. Right? Two larger two larger employers are Delta and Emory. Right? Those aren't and those aren't in single sites. You drive on to Fort Benning, that's the single site largest employer on Fort Benning We're on in the state of More Georgia. More
0: than the Air Force Base and Oh God, yeah. Air Force Base? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Oh, don't make everybody want to rob Chuck. Man. Okay. okay.
1: The, so so then when you talk about uh impact on the economy, right? So four point five billion dollar impact on the economy every year. That's Ford Benning. Four point five billion. You know, all of the work that went in to get the Kia plant, one point five billion. So about three times as large an economic impact as Ford Benning than the Kia plant.
0: We just had a major economic announcement yesterday. Remington is moving its headquarters from New York to LaGrange Troop County. Wow. That could be a good job opportunity for soldiers leaving the Army, right? I mean, Remington would make sense for some of this. I mean, $1 billion investment, nine hundred, nearly 900 jobs Remington's yeah. going to provide. and I mean, that. I mean, that's a big deal in LaGrange. That's a big deal in Columbus, a big, big deal anywhere. Yeah, sure, 900 jobs is a pretty big deal. Yeah, and Remington would make sense in this part of the country. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Four point five billion coming out of just Four point
0: five billion. Deuces.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's it's a large it's a large impact, right? So
0: so, so you laughed at my billion.
1: <laughs> thought it was funny. Yeah, okay. I, I thought it was cute.
0: It's <laughs> cute. Billion. That's cute. But that's you know, people don't really. I mean, I guess anybody who pays attention in Columbus sees that four point five billion. Apartment owners obviously get a big piece of it. Grocery stores get a big piece of it. Downtown restaurants get an amazing piece of it. Gyms get a piece of it. I mean, that pie that pie is cut up a lot, isn't it? Yeah. But I mean, again, I mean you know, I mean COVID
1: has unfortunately taught us a lot about the value of what happens on Fort Benning, right? Because, you know, when we when we shut down graduations, et cetera, the impact on the hotel industry in, in Columbus was Signific- severe. Significant. Right? Uh I, I went over to I was I was having pizza over at the uh uh little pizza shop over in Phoenix City, run by a guy who grew up in the Bronx. Yeah, I know. Um, what's it called?
0: Uh gosh I, know, I, I yeah, can say it. it's right there. I can't, there I can't
1: the say its name I get approved. you know, I I am still waiting on my, my uh
0: <laughs> I think they just money. sold it. I think they just yeah, sold it. I
1: know he was trying to sell it and but he, but he was doing that because he COVID had hurt him so badly. And yeah. I was talking to him one day. And uh, when we were in there, because it, it's actually New York style pizza, I mean it's pretty good, right? Unlike the stuff you guys eat down here. And uh, and we we were in there, and he was telling me how hard it was. He was impacted by the COVID restrictions that we at Fort Benning had put on. And that was good for me because you know I came in as a really hardline COVID guy, and I realized that yeah, I gotta I gotta I gotta weigh the security, the installation, the sanctity of the training environment against the impact we were having on people downtown as well.
0: Just come out of the fourth wave um, of COVID. Um, What's next? I mean, I mean, hopefully not the fifth wave. Yeah. Um, What's I'll
1: tell you what's next. What's next on Fort Benning is 100% vaccinated soldiers and civilians.
0: Army mandated.
1: Army mandated. Right. And so we're, we're already working through the process. We're, we're over at ninety. We're over ninety-two percent. Uniformed personnel are fully vaccinated. Uh, I think that you know, about six percent have had one shot, and so we're down to really about two percent that we're still kind of working with. And uh, you know, unfortunately, as um, you know, we, we've done, we've done I think all we can to educate the uniformed servicemen about um, the, the safety, of the vaccine, the benefit of having the vaccine. And again, what you know. It, and if if you're living out on the in the community as a civilian and you don't have any affiliation with the army, with the military, hey, the decision you want to make. I and mean, I could I could talk to you about public health requirements for everybody to chip in, right? Like the way the world eradicated polio. But I'm not even going to bother doing that, right? You you want to make your decisions that are great. But hey, if you're you're going to be in the army and sleeping in a 60 person open bay barracks. You got to be vaccinated. Right.
0: Do you think what happened last week with Aaron Rodgers, the Packers quarterback, was a setback for for people like you that are trying to get a bunch of soldiers and, and folks fascinated? Because, you know, you had this macho guy that kind of took a stand the other way.
1: Yeah, and then he couldn't play, and his team did really well without him. They did not do well right? without him. And so that, that's the other part. We're making decisions that that are personal, that hurt the team. That's right. when I look at when I look at that, I, I think that you made a personal decision and impacted your team. You know, the soldier out there. That's is a making, direct relationship uh, to the
0: to the correlation to the military, right?
1: We we need guys to to lean in to do what do what's required to keep the team safe, keep the team healthy. I mean, I've had this discussion a, a million times, right? Because I've had you know early on before the vaccine, it was kind of like, why are you doing all these draconian measures? You know, eighteen to twenty five year old. Healthy, going through training, you know, it's going to be if if they're even affected by it, it's going to be like the flu. Why are Why are you so excited? Well, it's because they get on a bus driven by a sixty five year old, three hundred pound guy, right? That that outcome might not be the same, and we've got a responsibility to protect the Every. whole team, right? And now, we, the the vaccine is mandated. It's not an it's not an option for those who who want to serve. It's now not an option for those who are employed by the federal government on the installation, and so we'll, we'll we'll work through all of that as well.
0: Well, we're at a point now. We're near the end. I've overshot the forty-five minutes a little bit, but uh, I, I didn't I didn't tell you about this part of it. I just want to surprise you on it, and we'll see what happens with it. Uh, we call this turn the tables. I've been asking you questions. You get to be the question asker. So, I mean, and you. You're somebody I've known for seven, eight years now, somebody I have great respect for. I'm curious to see what you're about to do to me.
1: Yeah, so what's the the most difficult aspect of having a large post like Fort Benning right adjacent to a city like Columbus?
0: The most difficult aspect of it? What's the most
1: challenging aspect of having a large military post adjacent to a civilian community some of the people
0: in the panhandle might say out in the panhandle of muskogee county might say the noise that comes with those 50 million rounds you shoot particularly the the big tank rounds um you know i don't see the difficulty of it i see the value of it and I grew up in Eufaula, so I mean, to me, Fort Benning was—you're going to Columbus and you saw people falling out of planes, and that in Fort Mitchell, you always because we always took 165, so you know that was always a cool thing. Was are you going to see that? So that was my extent of my knowledge of Fort Benning as a kid. You know, I'd be in my parents' car and looking up, saying, "Are they falling out of the sky today?" Because those parachutes Mm -hmm. open was a wonderful thing if you're 14, 15 year old kid. But now. I think what I see, I mean, having lived here for 32 years now, I see the 4.5, 4.2 or 4.5 billion? How many billion? What's 4.5. It? 4.5 billion dollar economic impact. I see how it touches everybody, all 206,000 of us that live here, whether we're military or not. I see people and like Carmen Cavesa um, who stepped out of a three-star general role and led the Columbus 96 Olympic effort. And I'll never forget, I was sitting there uh, and talking to him one day, and I said, so what's the difference? I mean, there's, I mean, what's the difference to me a three-star general and running a volunteer-based organization? He said I used to have a car or a truck, whatever I needed, and whenever I said something, Everybody around me jumped and did what I said, or tried to get me answers. You know, and now I say something, they just look at me like, "Who the heck's he?" <laughs> I mean, he said it was the most humbling thing to go from all of the the military stuff to yeah. that. And I don't so know here's, if I've, so here's what
1: I've learned. You know, they probably did that for General Cavesa. So what what I've learned though is when they jump and <laughs> act like they're doing what I'm telling them. They may or may not actually be doing what I'm telling them
0: to do. <laughs> but that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, you're here yeah. two years tops, right. and then you're they're gone on to the next best thing, you know, or retirement. I mean, it's gone both ways with people that have been in your sure. position. So, you know, you really are at a job that is a pinnacle-type job. It's
1: a great job. This, I mean, it's a great job. I What's mean, the difference
0: it, in being a first lieutenant and a two-star general? <laughs>
1: Uh, you work a lot harder as a two-star general. I, I really, you know, for growing up, I was like, man, you look at like you look, you look at the generals, like, man, that's got to be the life, you know, kind of wake up late in the morning, kind of get to work when the sun's warm, head out for long lunches, maybe not, even a martini, right, and then not and then head to the house, up, no. right? Whew, it's a sm- it's a smoker. I mean, I've, um, yeah, I don't know, I've been a general officer what, since 2016. It's uh, I'm I'm astounded by uh, the demand uh, of work. I'm not complaining. I mean I I'm not complaining.
0: It's, I mean, it does it is, sound like you're complaining.
1: It's it does doesn't it? I'm a, it doesn't. I'm a I mean, oh, okay. No, the, no it doesn't. Uh, but it's it's um it's the nature of it, right? There's so much going on. There's so much you want to do, uh, and you have and you do. You know that you're on this clock, and so I've been I've been talking the last couple of months is that hey look we got we got to get this done i got to get this across the goal you know some of the initiatives on post that i'm trying to get done i mean I, I know that i've i've got to get it cemented uh, before june or july yeah after that
0: first year you're kind of on the clock aren't yeah you?
1: absolutely you you're, you and you can see you can see the finish line getting closer and closer and, and if you want to get something done you you got to and you can't get a lot of things done you got to you got to pick a couple 3 4 things that you want to get done and then just stand on those. So, hey, last question. Okay. All right. So, college basketball. Okay. Better conference, SEC or the Big East, and why is it the Big
0: East? It's not the Big East. Oh my but God. It's. I mean, you know, it's the SEC because of Kentucky. I mean, I mean, they suck. I mean, they're
1: gonna they're gonna hire a bunch uh, of kids, uh, you know, for one year, if if that, right? I mean, it's. It's it's a farm it's a farm league for the NBA. What a terrible example of sportsmanship, it, Chuck. It, I'm, dis- I'm disappointed.
0: That's what hey, it's it
1: is. look what Jay Wright does. Let's right? talk. Bring, okay, in, if you want to talk sports, team. let's talk football
0: instead of basketball. <laughs> All right, so Notre Dame. What do you want to know? <laughs> I sort of took you for that guy. Uh, wow, this has been a great discussion, candid as as I knew you would be, General. I'm, you know. I'm, kind of waiting for the day you get out of the uniform I, I mean I'll probably meet you for a cup of coffee and call you Pat then but you, you know, sounds you, good you've had you're buying I'll, I'll buy I'll, I'll buy I may even buy lunch Um, but our guest has been Major General Pat Donahoe General Donahoe is the commander of the Fort Benning of uh, Fort Benning the Maneuver Center of Excellence two star general and he's been uh, he, he's been nice enough to sit down with us and nice enough to be very candid in this conversation. So it's always good to talk to you, General.
1: Chuck, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening.
0: Okay. Well, we're now at this point of the show where I start doing everything that I screw up. Okay, we'll start. The Chuck Williams Show can be heard on Tuesday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. here on WRBL.com. You can also get it on where you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, and iHeart. And, you know, we... we Dylan, are more people starting? Dylan Hanson, our director, has been great tonight. Uh, Dylan, are more people starting to uh, to pick it up on the podcast thing? So you start to get some of those analytics. Depending, it depends on the guest. Say so okay. that. We're gonna, I'm we're, expecting. I'm expecting it. this one will be so in will the top. Least,
1: this will get at least one or two people. I'm maybe I'm half. My mother, um, <laughs> <laughs> your daughter, your daughters probably won't listen to. Yeah, They've listened to me enough. <sighs> Uh, I th- no, I think I think usually uh, like military and government ones do the best. So yeah. this one will probably do the best. Oh, yeah. oh I also, don't tell the other people this. Your numbers are doing the best by like a margin, like a good margin.
0: Hey, Jezwal, did you hear that, buddy? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I hope he didn't. <laughs> oh man, he's gonna be mad at both of us. Okay, and then you can get me on social media. What's we'll talk social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Chuck Williams, and you'll appreciate this, General. I've been on Chuck I've been on Twitter so long. I'm not Chuck Williams 099. I'm I am at Chuck Williams, and I've said this many times during this part of the show. My goal is is for a famous politician, athlete, entertainer to be Chuck Williams. And, hey, retirement account. Buy I'll, you out. Yeah, I, I will, you I'll, I'll sell Chuck Williams in a heartbeat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then I'm on uh, uh, Facebook at Chuck Williams. Uh, what is it? WRBL. WRBL and Instagram, Chuck Williams 999 Okay, thank you. Okay, you got me covered. Thanks, brother. Well, another edition of the Chuck Williams Show is in the books, and it's not about Chuck Williams. It's about the people we talked to, and General Donahoe was a good one. See you next week, guys.